Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hey, it's Robert Mays, host of The Athletic Football Show. This year, we're covering the NFL Draft like we never have before. Live from a TV studio on site in Kansas City. Join me, Nate Tice, and our draft expert, Dane Brugler, on our YouTube channel at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time this Thursday as we bring the Athletic Football Show's unique brand of analysis to the first round of the NFL Draft. And when the draft gets going for the second and third rounds on Friday, we'll be right there, too, kicking off our coverage at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Search The Athletic Football Show on YouTube to find our channel, and subscribe now to make sure you don't miss a second of our 2023 NFL Draft coverage. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Mike Trout is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all season long. I'm Jason Stark. I read about baseball for the Athletic, and I am joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Is it Doug? I know you were in San Francisco this weekend for one of the most oh, yeah. controversial moments of the 2023 season. Mm-hmm. So you can answer this for us. Did or did not Brandon Crawford hit a McCovey Cove splashdown homer? Well, it was reviewed. And this was interesting because uh, I arrived at San Francisco and the splash hit said 98. So I was like, okay, that's cool. I always pay attention to that. And then sure enough, uh, I watched the video before the game and they're showing on the big screen as if there was some sort of league-wide review. And in the review, they determined that the home run that Brandon Crawford had hit the night before was indeed a splash hit or a splash home run. Uh, and I, I don't know what took them 24 hours, why they deliberated and what was the, you know, <laughs> all the brouhaha over it, but they made a big announcement to announce that the splash hits have now, now gone up from 98 to 99 and they, they threw balloons and all kinds. Of, I mean, it was amazing. So I don't know. I have no idea why, you know, it seemed pretty easy to determine if the ball landed in the water or didn't land in the water, but apparently there was something really a big, it was a big deal. They had to bring in, I guess the U S Navy or something and figure it out, but they did it. It took 24 hours though. Okay. Yeah. Seems to me that there's a magic word that would apply here. Splash. Yes. Yeah. I would was, in fact, was there a splash or was there not a splash? If the answer is yes, there was a splash hit. Okay. <laughs> Just a little guidance for me. Uh, 
All right, Doug, I also know you're uh, just off your red eye from uh, watching the Mets out there in San Francisco. Uh, did the Mets inspire you to apply any rosin to your eyelids to help them stick together so you could sleep on the flight? You know, I, I didn't even think about that, but I, I might get tossed from the plane, though, so I got to be careful with that <laughs> rosin. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, <clears throat> I, I think we need a term, though, if we, uh, between sweat and rosin. Uh, we have to work on this. I mean, what do you call it? Like, you're the swazen? 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 Yeah, swazen. No? Swack? Swack? Like, it's tacky <laughs> and sweat. Swack? You know, uh, so I, we, we got work about, on I got one. Rospiration. Right. <laughs> well, I, I, look, this is obviously a thing because they keep talking about concoctions <laughs> of sweat and rosin. So we just need a term. All uh, right, we'll work on it. Yeah, please. Yeah, we're obviously alluding to Max Scherzer, who got ejected and then suspended for having some uh, sticky stuff issues this week. Uh, that's just one more topic we can add to the list of stuff to run by our very special guest star on this week's Starkville, Joe Madden. Doug, I could not be more excited about this week's special guest in Starkville. It's Joe Madden. Uh, Joe, so happy to have you here. Welcome back to our little town. Right. It's great to be back with you guys. Uh, I think I almost started with you after I had been let go with the Angels or something around there last yeah. year. Uh, but I, I have so much respect for both of you, uh, the way you do your job, uh, the friendships we've developed. I really appreciate it. Of course, I would do this anytime for you guys. Well, it, it's awesome. And there's so much we want to talk to you about, including your book, The Book sure. of Joe, which I just loved you and Tom Verducci. But first, why don't you tell us what your life is like these days? Uh, how many rounds of golf you think you played since last June? Well, i just say this. My legs hurt every morning. I, I don't even know, <laughs> like like the hamstring IT bands, I got to break them in slowly. I've been playing way too much. I'm backing <laughs> off. I'm going to start lifting more weights and riding my bike more. But I'm playing a lot of golf, absolutely. And beyond that, um, you know, doing the podcast, Tommy and I have our podcast now, the Book of Joe podcast. I've done different events in different parts of the country because of the book, uh, several in Chicago that have worked out really well. Uh, you know, with uh, the thing with Tommy, he's really helped keeping me apprised and abreast of what's going on, like our little uh, weekly podcast. So it's good. And then like talking to you guys, uh, just keeping my toe in the water regarding the baseball season and baseball in general so that if I get another opportunity, I'll have a, an idea of what's going on. So that's part of the game plan. Um, hanging out at the restaurant here at Ovid down here in Tampa, Tampa and pretty much having a good time. Uh, I have to confess I'm having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend always having a good time. But right, um, I am, I am. You, you know, it's the first time that spring training and opening day and a new baseball season arrived without you in, in what, 50 years? How strange was that? Uh, was, last time was 1980. Um, I wasn't involved. Okay. Uh, 79 was, 81 I was involved. 80 was the so year. Um, 40, I, honestly, years. yeah. But, yeah, and I'm telling you, I, um, I I hate to disappoint, but I I wasn't lamenting. I wasn't upset. I wasn't crying. I wasn't, ugh. you know, I just I just kept moving. I, I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing without even trying. You know, so the compartmentalization right now is I'm playing golf, um, I'm hanging out, I'm doing the Book of Joe podcast with Tommy, I'm doing events, um, some really good dinners with friends. I went to the, the Burn Wine Fe Burns Wine Festival yesterday down the street at Burns Steakhouse. 
from from noon to four and i'm not a day drinker brother but it was that good <laughs> so i'm doing things now that I've, i haven't done since lafayette uh you know during the off season <laughs> from baseball and football back then. i really i'm very collegiate right now i'm having a good time with it wow burn burn steakhouse you say that place is amazing yeah. is that that's uh yes. they had like they had like port from like George Washington or something. I mean, this place is unbelievable. <laughs> Brother, yesterday, yesterday it was just their wine gig, their wine tasting festival, whatever. You walk in like this tent that they've constructed, beautiful. And you just go around the room. And I mean around this big old room. And there's different great wines on every table. And you only get like micro sips. But by the time you make it halfway around the room, it's like it's 1.30 in the afternoon. I don't do those things. So. I got back, I took my nap, and then I went out for pizza at Ava last night, so it worked out really well. Sounds like a good day. <laughs> it was. <laughs> you know, Joe, the last time you were here was, as you said, it was right after you were let go by the Angels. And mm -hmm. let me tell you something. We have done many memorable shows here. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've ever had a reaction to any of them, like the reaction we had to that show, to you. I know, you know, I had somebody stopped me at a ballpark one day and say he was late for a meeting because he was listening <laughs> in the car on the way. And he couldn't get out of the car <laughs> until it was over. <laughs> but it, it was you talking about the state of modern baseball okay. and analytics and how it's mm -hmm. impacting managers and longtime baseball people. Uh, there's obviously so much of that in your book, but I, I'm curious, what's been the reaction on your end? to what you've said um, since the book of Joe came out, I think it was last fall, right? Well, primarily the re reaction that I get from people that are willing to talk to me about it is favorable. I mean, a lot of it's old baseball guys or, or people that are still involved and say things like, you know, thank you for saying that, or, you know, I appreciate you saying that because I can't say that. That's, that's pretty much the kind of reaction that I get. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not looking for reaction and I'm not really looking to create anything other than, uh, just trying to bring to the forefront my attempt to help bring the game back to its greatness, uh, to the stage that it had been. Right now, there's, it seems to be you know, doing pretty well. I think the, some of the rule changes have helped a lot. But nevertheless, the part that I was talking about is different than that. And that's just the everyday working within the clubhouse where people are, are really having, and I use the word fun a lot, and I, I'm okay with that word. I think it's a word that we're it's almost becoming archaic in our society, but it was fun. And a lot of that has to do with permitting individuality and, and, and not being so oppressive with information and, and really um, trying to get guys buying the things then, and, and uh, methods that aren't really necessary on a daily basis just because. So, uh, yes, I, I'm a I'm prominent, prominent Major League Baseball people from front office and on the field that checked in and really like what we're talking about. Yeah, you know, there's so much fascinating stuff in your book, but I mean, what to me was the most riveting, the most must read was what you just alluded to. Uh, you, mm -hmm. There's a chapter where you contrast mm -hmm. the old guard and the new guard, how the old guard managers, Gene Mock, Earl Weaver, were, they were obviously so inquisitive, but also free to use their instincts mm -hmm. to put their stamp right. on a game. Uh, I, I know you talked about how they created an on-field identity for their team. Can you explain what you mean by that and how that's not a thing as much these days? Oh, yeah. Listen, when I first began, the manager was autonomous. He was the most powerful person in an organization, uh, even if he just showed up. 
I mean, every time the Angels got a new manager, I had to change everything I was doing in the minor leagues regarding uh, cutoff and relays, bunt defenses, uh, the kind of game we wanted to play. It was, it was dictated from the manager's seat, not even from the GM seat, and certainly not from the scouting director's seat or the uh, you know, field coordinator, et cetera. We were just following that guy always. Now, I'm not saying that's, that was the right way to do it because I always argued against that. I wanted more of an organizational concept. I wanted that like if a manager was let go, fired, whatever that, whatever the philosophy that we had at that time would be carried over to the next guy, that the the new the GM would attempt to find somebody that was cut from that same mold, that same uh, concepts that we had been doing. Because remember, again, back then, if you had a manager that was considered tough and not a player's manager, after you fired him, you were looking for a player's manager. There was always this uh, thought or desire that you had to go back and forth with the kind of personality had running the team so that wasn't good either that's not my point i'm just saying that at that point it was more autonomous i thought it should have been less than that i thought it should have been more uh, of a team concept meaning that and i could keep rambling but i thought also at that time the major team major league teams and the minor league organizations were on two different pages a lot of times uh, and again it was because there was no continuity coming from the front office. So now we have that. You do have that continuity coming from the front office. And for that part, I really do like it. But at the same time, um, now they're attempting to run the game for the manager and the coaches, et cetera. And I'd like to see a better balance being uh, uh, built between these two groups so that, yes, I want information. I want all this brilliant stuff. I want all this. But once you've uh, uh, put it all together and given it to me, then I want baseball instincts and baseball acumen and baseball people that have been doing this for a while then to go out and, and run a baseball game. Uh, and that's, there lies the difference, uh, difference with all that because there's, there's no, there's really, it's pretty much one group wanting to do both things, run the front office and then run the game itself. So, you know, Joe, that answers you know, yes, sir. Good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think the first thing that comes to mind when I, you know, hear that from a player perspective is, you know, what do you think the the through line is or the connection between the player from that era? You talk mm -hmm. about that's my fandom, right? You're talking about 80s um, right. and, and the players that you ultimately managed like later in your career. How did you see the evolution in those two systems uh, change the player? Um, but I think the player has become more reliant uh, mm -hmm. on on being told things or what to do and how to do it as opposed to back then. We were always trying to teach the player um, how to do things and then stay out of their way. I mean, I think be, they become more reliant on the information that's there to be given to them. Um, new pitcher comes in the game, 1987. They'd walk over to the corner of the dugout. There'd be a little sheet with like fastball, slider, curveball, whatever. Uh, uh, he's a, almost always does the first pitch fastball when he comes out of the bullpen, whatever. There was like a very small piece of information to be digested. Uh, and now you get over there and you actually have an iPad video. You can see the shape of the pitch, whatever. Now you might argue that that's a better thing. I don't know if that's a better thing. I don't know if it's, it's more confusing. I don't even know if it's helping more or less. Some guys like less information, some guys like more. But I think the primary difference is that more is being given to you, where back then less was given to you and you had to research more on your own. You know, the last World Series was won by Dusty Baker who was 73 yep. years old and, you know, wanted things done a lot like you're describing. Uh, do you look at that as any sort of validation of what you're talking about? 
Well, I, uh, first of all, I think sometimes we, we talk about information and analytics and everything, but the difference is that the Houston Astros have really good baseball players and they had an extraordinary pitching staff. And that's really why they won. It had nothing to do with information, good or bad. And I don't even know it had anything to do with styles. I'll give them credit because, again, I think the one thing that's not talked about enough is that they use probably analytics a lot in acquiring, acquiring those players. And that really is where that's where the that's where the kudos is deserved. How did we get these guys in here? That to me is the impressive part. But once you get good players there, yeah, they, you want to give them information. Yes, you want to feed them some stuff, but you also want to stay out of the way. And you're not going to win unless you've originally accumulated a lot of good players. That's the secret to winning is good baseball players. So um, I, I sometimes when we talk about analytics and it's not even about analytics, it's about the word analytics. I mean, that's what really gets people worked up. Because we're so all, I mean, I mean, I'm into, I'm into numbers. I'm into all the information given. I'm into all of that. But I think when you start going, what, what analytics actually is, it's a bunch of data and information that I'm there to utilize and uh, help you do my job better. And if you just use the word analytics, it's almost like it's this all-encompassing, overpowering, omnipotent kind of force that's taking over the game. And that's where you get the blowback from. So I think if we could just really understand what we got going on here, we got a lot of good information and really good stuff, absolutely. But then once you've uh, once you've you've accumulated it and brought it down to the clubhouse, please stay out of the way and let baseball happen. And I think that's probably primarily where I was uh, most uh, uh, the most uh, blowback for me or the most pushback for me was in that area, not from the information itself, but the how it was implemented. Well, um, Joe, you know, within Dusty Baker, Bruce Bochy came back yeah. uh, this mm-hmm. season for with Texas. And, yeah. you know, and to Jason's point about, you know, what do you think the significance is when now you're revisiting some of these yeah. managers that maybe at its face were like, okay, that's the old school. But, you know, they're finding ways to not only be back in the game, but thrive. Uh, yeah. Do you see anything to that pattern or practice? They're going to thrive. These guys are good. I mean, they're really good at what they do because it goes way beyond just what we're talking about, this, this mathematical thing. It's, it's um, how they're perceived in the clubhouse, they're dug up by the, by the team, how they interact with their players and their coaching staff. What is it like in a hot moment? How do they react to that? How do they, um, do they keep their composure? Do they always appear to be under control? How do they react to a bad moment? Like when they, the next day we've lost two or three in a row. What do they look like when they walk into the, to the dugout? Uh, we had a player that didn't run hard to first base. How does he how does he handle that? You know, these are the kind of things that nobody you can evaluate that stuff mathematically, but is way more important than what everybody else wants to give all the credit to. So Boach is always going to be good. Dusty's always going to be good. Um, Jimmy Leland always was going to be good. Right. Soch always was going to be good because of them, not because of all this uh, information that might be being fed to them, but because how they handled the clubhouse how they were respected, how they were viewed, and then how they dealt with the day. It's always about dealing with the day and being able to um, appeal to a wide range of players and then the media and the fan base. All right. Since we're going culture, culture. Yeah. 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 Well, since we're going down this road, uh, if, Mm -hmm. if I'm counting right, I think we've had five teams change managers since you were let go. Did any of those teams reach out to you? No. No, nobody reached out to me. Um, uh, Japan did. Japan was very interested right when it all happened. And I wasn't ready to go there yet. Um, although, I mean, I'm, I'm such a fan of the, the, the baseball culture there. Uh, but that's it. Nobody else has reached out to me. Not at all. Um, 
Again, I, I, I don't know if it's because of how it all ended with the Angels or because of what I'm saying right now. I don't know uh, really why it's arrived at this point. Um, again, because you just described many these other gentlemen that I'm a lot like in regards to how I do things and the success that I've had. But either way, it's okay. I mean, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to stay mentally prepared for all this. I'm observing very closely. I'm watching the game and what's going on. And it's like, uh, kind of like I was alluding to, I believe that uh, my skill set uh, works with any group in any, any decade of, of the game of baseball. And I'm, I'm very happy about that. So if I get the opportunity, I'm absolutely going to be into it. But to this point, none. And I, and again, I think the reason might be because I am a little bit outspoken about all this. Right. So, you know, I mentioned last year, you're on this show, incredible response. A lot of it was what you described. People in the game reaching out to me and saying, I'm so glad he said that. But I'll admit some of the other response was, hey, that guy's going to have a hard time getting another manager job after sure. saying what he said. And like, I'll tell you what I told those people, which which was anybody in the game who would react that way is not somebody, somebody I think Joe would want to work for anyway. Is that accurate? Correct. And that's the, see, my, the whole thing is, uh, first of all, you know, you guys know me well enough. I'm going to tell you what I think not what I've heard from anybody. This is what I think, right? I'm very confident in the way I've done things and I do things. So I, I would not want to work with anybody that I cannot uh, coexist with in, in a matter that, and believe me, I am all about uh, cooperation. I am all about collaboration. I'm all about that. I am, I'm a, I think I'm one of the best collaborators you've ever been around, but I'm also going to give you my opinion. You're not just going to, I'm not just going to blindly follow you or agree with you because you happen to be my boss. I mean, just like with me, with the people that are subordinate to me, I definitely don't want them ever to just tell me, oh, this is what Joe thinks. This is what he wants. I'm going to, I'm going to agree with him. That would be, that's the last guy I want working for me. I want somebody that's a little bit, a little bit of a contrarian in a sense, but also best line, best line ever, Colin Powell, as an advisor to the president of the United States. I will give you my strongest opinion. I'll be giving my best opinion, then I'll give you my strongest loyalty, something to that effect. So if you want me to work for you, yes, I want to. I'm, I'm in. You get, you get all of me. But be prepared that I'm going to give you my opinion. Once we arrive at consensus, whatever that might be, then here comes my strongest loyalty because that's the face that I'll present to everybody else. Well, Joe, and, and, and you mentioned, you know, sort of watching the game, right? You know, yeah. and I know the last time we spoke, you were you were a little bit adrift, you know, you're like, okay, you're getting yeah, I was. Back. Yes. <laughs> so I guess my question is what, you know, what changed? Was there anything that changed specifically? And then and what are you seeing, you know, as a result of these fresh eyes? Yeah. Um, what changed was time, you know, this time and and now um I am I, I I'm I got nothing to do at night. So I'm watching the game. I I mean, I, I'm actually curious a little bit. I'll tell you probably why, mostly the clock, the pace clock. See, of all the things that we've done in the game, everything, you could write them all down in a list, uh, banning the shift. You could talk a uh, three batter minimum. You could talk run around second base with extra innings. You could talk uh, bigger bases, uh, limited throwers, anything you want to talk about. None of that to me matters except for the pace clock. I think if the pace clock had been put in place first, none of this other stuff would have to have been uh uh, created it just would not have the other stuff would have everything else would have taken care of itself because the only problem was that the ball was not being thrown the only problem was that the hitter would not get in the box now that they are 
um, to me, the rest of the game could remain pretty much the same because there's not all this interminable moments in between a pitch. Um, if you have strategy to employ, it's employ your strategy because after all, the game is an intellectual game. And that's why it's always been so um, interesting is because it is intellectual. So you're subtracting a component of intellectualism from this game. And some people might just, what are you talking about? Well, I'll tell you what. If you've been sitting up in the stands or watching on TV for years and you're watching a National League game, I promise you, you sit in that dugout for five minutes in the sixth or seventh inning, completely different than what you're watching on TV from up in the stands in regards to warp speed. All these things matter. And uh, again, if, if, if and only if the pace clock had been established, I think you would have seen the same kind of result right now in regards to um, people liking what they're saying. You know, Eric Neander, who you know well, was on our Love show Eric. last yeah. week. Okay. And uh, he, he said something almost identical to that this spring about how the the clock and just changing the rhythm of the games might be the answer to everything we're trying to solve. But how can that be? How can you explain to people why it would have that kind of impact? Well, because it, that's, first of all, everybody's wants to see something now. I got a microwave right over here, right? <laughs> I might stop at McDonald's for a hamburger that's already done. It's got to happen right now. We can't sit there waiting for the burger to be cooked and definitely not something on the stovetop. Everything has to be right now. So the pitch, it's all about the pitch being thrown. It's all about the next pitch. It's all about, and I love, I, the umpires are taking charge of it. And I actually had Phil Cuzzy on our, uh, our podcast. And I'm saying, God, you guys have to do so many different things now. And he, can, he admitted that it's complicated, but like anything else, you develop a rhythm for it. So, yeah, because just by improving the pace of the game, you will not notice the throwers the first base. You will not notice uh, the shipping as prominent. You will not notice uh, three batter minimum that a pitcher, a manager cannot match up in the latter part of the game and also uh, maintain the careers of left-handed relief pitchers, somebody that's a specialist, which is no longer part of the thing. And all of this stuff, I don't think would have been as noticeable as problematic had the game just been sped up based on get ball, throw ball, get on mound, throw ball. I think that would have solved everything. Yeah, how, how about the experience of just watching games now? You yeah. know, all right, the, all right, the games are 28 minutes shorter on average. I, I keep telling people, I don't think that describes it. This is what I think describes it. We've had 101 games so far that have lasted under two and a half hours. You know how many we'd had last year this time? Nine. So 101 to nine. Is I was going to say two. So. <laughs> Well, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. It is. It is amazing. And it's um, it's just it's just it's just more enjoyable. And again, uh, growing up like we did, I mean, I remember games being quicker. I mean, Mr. Gibson, Bob Gibson was my favorite pitcher as a kid growing up. And he was known about getting the ball and just throwing the ball. There might have been a few guys back then that like, you know, Gaylord Perry with all the gesticulations and moving around. That was considered longer. Mike Hardgrove fixing his batting gloves. <laughs> But otherwise, I mean, for the most part, the game was pretty quick. The game was quick. And, and so I, that's, that's the allure. That's the attraction to me that this is happening more quickly, that I get to watch something happen more quickly. Now, the next thing would be to put the ball in play, please. Everybody, you know, keeps talking about the change in rules and the lack of the shift and how yeah. contact's going to be increased. No, it's, that has nothing to do with anything. It's, it's methods being taught. It's, 
how we're being compensated. It's what the organization wants. Those are the, those are the thoughts that are going to permit the strikeouts of the ball being put in play more to happen. And, and just don't forget, man, these dudes are throwing 97 to 100 miles an hour. It's hard. It's hard to move the baseball. And if they're throwing that with like really extraordinary movement with different pitches, like a Shohei. Man, I'm watching Shohei. That is like watching you know, your best kid when your kid growing up in the backyard throwing a wiffle ball against the hedges. It just, you have no idea what it's going to do. You have no idea what it's going to do. It's incredible to watch him. All right. Well, all right but, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Doug. Now, I was going to ask you, so, and given that, you know, the clarity, right, of the clock, yeah. uh, what do you think took so long? Uh, and I guess that's one question, but, and and how did we really get here, right? How did we get here to the to be so far afield from the, the tempo and rhythm of the game? I think we just, we were just, uh, it was important to think that the game would have a clock on. I think that had a lot to do with it. We were always, baseball is the only game that doesn't have a clock. So you have that tradition that you have to buck and and really with our game. The game has always been glacier slow in regards to change and movement. Kind of part of that I really liked for a long time too. Uh, but I think more than anything, it's about that. It's about our game not having a clock attached to it. And I think the, the purists and the people that had been in charge, there wasn't as much progressive thinking, not only in, in the game of baseball, but in general. I mean, progressive thought is really um, – been accentuated over the last, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years, you hear more of that. And I think it just naturally is going to eventually infiltrate, uh, you know, based on maybe sponsorships, who's going to support this, who's going to be on board because I like what you're talking about. All those things I think inspire to have something occur at a particular moment. And I think that's what happened here. It was just time, no pun intended, for this <laughs> to occur, right? And, and everybody was ripe to hear this kind of conversation. And like, like I said, for me, I was never opposed to it. I thought that was the, that is the only change to me that would, would have been necessary to create all the positive publicity the game is receiving right now. Hey, I want to circle back to that six different things that you just said, right. but okay. one of them is the shift ban. Um, yeah. Is the shift, banning the shift, is it having the impact that people expected? Batting average league-wide only up two points. Yeah. Batting average on balls in play Balls in play, only up five points. Why right. do you think that is? Okay. Uh, because guys aren't changing. I mean, that's your unless you compensate for whatever you want, compensate for it. If you want to, I mean, stolen bases are up a little bit, right? For for the most part, stolen oh, yeah. bases are yeah. they're up. Okay, I'm just curious how that's going to last during the course of the year when guys start getting their body beat up from running more and sliding more. I'm just curious about that if that's going to have some kind of a residual negative effect as the, as the, as the season's in progress. But when it comes to hitting the baseball, these guys aren't changing their methods. They're still being told to hit home runs. They're still being told to try to lift the ball. Um, and so you're going to get the rollover ground ball on the pull side, but everybody's talking about the right-handed. This was this, this shift and this thought is only there to help a left-handed pull hitter. That's, that's who you've been shifting against. You're not been shifting against anybody else. And you still have the opportunity to put your second base as deep into that hole as you want to. Not in the triangle, but he's still way over there. And the hitter's still looking up and seeing that dude over there. And if you get that second baseman, a shortstop, close enough to second and the ball's chopped, there's a chance possibly to, to, to range and get over to that spot. So you're, you're still getting a bunch of guys just swinging like they had been swinging. They really haven't changed anything. Roll, some rollovers are, rollovers are getting through more. I get that. But the right-handed hitter, no. The righty's the same righty. 
Every righty in the league is the same righty as he was last year. Some lefties are different, but all the right-handers are the same dudes. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a little more use the middle of the field. Um, but you're you're right. And you also write about this. <laughs> Banning the shift can only have so much impact unless you can do something to counteract strikeouts. And they're exactly. up again this year. So what's the secret to counteracting strikeouts? Compensation. I don't want you to strike out as much. We'll give you a bonus if you don't strike out. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, everybody, everybody wants walks. You know, that was a big thing when I started with the Rays was the, uh, that you had to get hitters out within the strike zone to beat the Red Sox and the Yankees because they weren't going to expand their strike zone. I still love the idea of balancing my walks to strikeouts. I still like the idea of making adaptations when you get deep, more deeply into the count. As an example, I like for a hitter to take fastball first when he gets the two strikes. But if it's right on right-handed hitter, right-handed hitter, right-handed pitcher, I like looking away first as you're facing that hitter. So you're looking away, fastball first. You keep your fastball hack loaded. And there's nothing wrong, zero wrong, with choking up a little bit and getting your top hand closer to contact. But nobody does that stuff. Nobody does that stuff. And even just by doing those physical things, I promise you, you will automatically make the mental adjustment down. You're going to adjust down. I'm just going to try to move the ball. Then you're going to get the argument about, you know, the, the slower hitter that does that. And all of a sudden, runners on first and second one out, hits into the double play. There's a lot of people that rather see the strikeout right there, first and second one out, than, than the double play ground ball roll over to shortstop. So you're going to get all these different conversations with this, all of it. And, and, and as we complain about what we're complaining about right now, there's a bunch of people sitting in offices somewhere saying, don't change a thing. We want it just to stay this exactly the same way. So um, my, I, I think strikeouts are going to remain the same unless there is some form of compensation for it or there's some kind of an award given for that. Otherwise, that's not going to change because they still are going to swing hard. Full count. Nobody even talks about winning the battle of the full count. I'm so much into winning the full count on a nightly basis. All this stuff is pertinent, but unless you really – talk about it a lot and, and nurture it or teach it. It ain't changing. You know, it's pretty clear to me that one thing baseball thinks is the answer here is be more vigilant about sticky stuff enforcement. Oh. Uh, Max Scherzer could tell you all about it, right? Yeah. How, how big an issue do you think that is in today's game? I mean, we see pitches moved now in ways they have never moved before ever. You know, I'd have to really, you know, uh, all the stuff with the uh, the different uh, technology that uh, could really uh, narrow down your placement of your hand on the ball, your fingers, the, the seams, et cetera. Sure. And, and then you could and you could work on this and you could actually work and see how you manipulate this and, and, and the action that you get based on a different method that you're trying. Uh, I first I'd have to see that because I've never really sit at, sat in a pitching lab and watched and see and noticed if there's really. Uh, a noticeable difference when guys really uh, try to manipulate the ball more differently. But then again, what you're talking about, I mean, of course, I mean, like Gaylord Perry made a living out of this stuff. I just started that twice <laughs> Gaylord Perry references in one uh, Starkville. But I mean, there's, there's, there's gotta be a uh, mo different movement based on yes, the substance on the ball, it just becomes a little bit heavier, uh, the, the a little bit longer in your fingertip, but whatever that might be, um, it has to have an impact on it. And, and regardless of what we do to, uh, to negate it or, or outlaw it, there's still going to be methods tried or things discovered that guys are going to be able to do that um, 
are going to be contrary to the rules that are put in place. <laughs> All right, well, the stuff in the lab, does right. that even work without spin and grip? How can it? Well, yeah, and again, I don't know. I mean, just uh, by putting your finger in a different part of the baseball, you're right. I mean, there has to be grip, and it, maybe it's a tighter grip as opposed – or maybe it's a looser grip. I mean, there's, there's different kind of pressures involved in this. I don't know the answer is my point. I'm just saying I would be curious to watch all that. Like if somebody would do like a really good show on that and then demonstrate if you did this or that on the ball, the seam pressure, or just move your finger or hand a little bit differently, this is what happens to the baseball all of a sudden. Um, I would be curious about that. But, yes, it really is going to come down to how well the pitcher is able to grip the baseball and how he feels about that. And there's going to be his confidence regarding throwing the baseball in a manner that's going to make it move more than it had in the past. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Well, you mentioned this name and I, I, I got to go back to it. Shohei Otani. Okay. Now, yeah. so since the last time we spoke, I mean, what are you seeing now just on the, the pure level of just watching what, you know, world baseball classic and this season, just, can you put him in perspective at all? <laughs> yeah. Arguably, arguably maybe the best baseball player complete that has ever played the game with the most confidence he's ever had in his life. That's what I'm just seeing a really real confident version of him. You watch the world baseball classic. I've never seen him that animated. I mean, he's always there. He's always there for his teammates. He's always jacked up. He's always positive, but not like that. When that game was won and he fired his glove in the air and his reaction, that visceral reaction that screamed at me, this guy is feeling it, man. This guy is really arriving at the point where that visceral component is matching with the actual physical talent. And whatever he's thinking now, it's just way above what it had been in the past. It's sharp and it's, and it's, uh, it's so positive. The, the result's going to be a good result. He's going to get the job done, whether it's on the mound or at the plate. He's going he's gonna to figure it out and get it done. This guy competes. Doug, he, this guy competes. 
we everybody competes. I get that. But when you're with him and watch him figure things out, he competes on, on like the most ultimate level there is. So I think it's this natural, crazy, great ability combined with the most confidence this young man can possibly have. I'm in awe of that guy. You think there's ever been a more talented human being playing any sport? <laughs> any sport? Um, I don't know what Jim it. Thorpe looked like. How about Jim <laughs> Thorpe? <laughs> Maybe. Jim, Jim Thorpe, PA, is right you, down the street from Hayes. I, um, we we had a conversation about Shohei and Bo one time, but like that's Bo, that's pretty much the group. Larry, Larry Boa? No, no. <laughs> Bo Jackson. Uh, no, that's not bad. That's not bad. That's That's pretty solid. Him and Bo Jackson, that's that's a pretty solid. I'll tell you what, one thing quickly about Bo. When I was there with him with the Angels, and he had that bad hip thing going on and couldn't really move. And I tried to talk Marcel to make him into a relief pitcher. I said, <laughs> let him hit. Let him do his thing. This guy had the best throwing arm I've ever seen in person. <laughs> the best. The best. We were, we, were in, we were getting warmed up in left center uh, at Angel Stadium with the old configuration with the scoreboard up on the – Third deck, whatever. Right after an earthquake, there's dudes up there with rivet mitts, you know, and they're riveting and they're fixing this thing. And we come out the stretch and they go, oh, throw us the ball without warming up, without warming up. Grab the ball, one crow hop, hit the dude right in the rivet mitt, straight up. That's impossible. That is impossible without throwing the shoulder up. Wow. I love that's that. That's the best story. I've ever seen. That's the yeah. best I've ever seen. There's only one Bo Jackson. I guess that's true. Yeah. But, you know, Look, there's so many insights in your book uh, into life inside the angels, but, um, you know, just from, from knowing you, watching you at work, reading the book, it, it it's clear that you kind of empowered Shohei to be this guy. What do you think that your impact on Shohei Otani was? Well, to be honest, you'd always have to ask him first. I want to believe the impact was um, that he felt, he felt, the ability, the freedom to be himself, that he felt the freedom to be an, the, the athlete that he is and that, um, that he was in control of his own destiny. Hopefully that was what he felt because that's, that was my intention, that I was never going to get in the way of his greatness. And I use that a lot in the uh, book. I, that's one thing, you know, everybody's worried about guys getting hurt. Ohapi, that's how you say his name, the catcher, right? Ohapi. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he he tears a labrum on a swing. I've never heard that. You know, I mean, so the point I'm trying to make there is guys get hurt. People get hurt. Baseball players get hurt. Football players, everybody gets hurt. And we're always guarding against injury. Of course, you do the right things. You work out. You lift weights according to whatever the, the science is right now. But just know one thing. Guys are going to get hurt. So if you're, always, if you're always guarding or coaching against injury, you're going to be wrong an awful lot. So with Shohei, there was this overtly, overt desire to protect him all the time. And when you do that, this guy came here to play two things. He wanted to pitch and play, you know, and hit. And so just in that, in that alone, that's what he contracted for. He needs to be given that opportunity to do that, right? I mean, to, to do anything else to me was like wrong. So I talked to Perry. Perry and I sat down in a little conference room there in uh, spring training. And we were both – it was so, it was so uh, rewarding to me to hear him say, you know, that he's on the same page. He agreed. And then we called Shohei in and told him, listen, buddy, the rules are there are no rules. Okay. I'm going to talk to you every day. We talk to you every day. You're going to tell me how you feel. And then you tell me when 
what, what, what would what would it be that would prevent you from wanting to play the next day? And he told me primarily when his legs felt tired, which makes all the sense in the world to me. So I said, great, that's what we're going. We're going to go off of that. When your legs don't feel good, you're going to talk to me. We're going to give you the next day off. That that was the pretty much how we did it the whole time. So after this year, he's a free agent. Um, <laughs> how would you appraise the Angels' chances of signing him? Uh, I mean, I don't think they're very good. I mean, I, you know, just being honest with it, this is nothing, this is no kind of carryover effect of anything. I, Shohei's got to go to free agency. He has to. Yeah. And once he arrives there, somebody's not going to get outbid. I mean, there's several teams <laughs> are going to not get outbid on this one. So uh, if you're willing to, you know, spend an exorbitant amount of money that exceeds with all the other people, the contracts you have in place, if you're willing to do that, you might have a shot, but, I think more than anything, Shohei wants to go somewhere where he feels assured that he's going to have a chance to win, be win a championship, be part of a championship team annually. That's going to be important to him. And a, a part of that, I believe, and I don't have any inside information about this, is that um, when he first came here, he said pretty much that he wanted to stay on the West Coast because Japan is new to him. Everything was new. I think the guy's been Americanized. He's kind of like captured the hearts of everybody in this country. I think right now you can go anywhere to play baseball and feel good about it. I do. He, he's uh, adaptable anywhere right now. So that opens up everything, including Canada. I mean, he'll go anywhere, I think, now to play baseball. So uh, there's going to be a lot of suitors. And to me, the Angels to resign, and they almost have to, like, get deep into the playoffs this year. So they, they, they don't they have to do more than just pay him. They have, oh, yeah. To, yeah. They have to show yeah. him that – like what he felt in the WBC, there's yeah. a path to that if he stays. Correct. Great analogy on the money. That's what he's all about. That's what he's all about. And like I said, you even not, <laughs> I watch him a lot and I talk to him a lot and he's really a good dude, but I've never <laughs> seen that kind of act, uh, reaction from him. Amazing. Well, here, here's, here's, let me throw a suggestion at you, Joe. If I was, uh, <laughs> what if you offered him the state of New Mexico? <laughs> Or Oregon. I mean, me would, that, see, would I, that be enough? I think, uh, let me think about that. I think, um, you know, God, is it Oregon? Both are really West, attractive. West Coast. States. Oregon, <laughs> West know, Coast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're both attractive states. Um, maybe the warmer climate. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it would take something like a state. Right. <laughs> yeah. Whole state. We could rename <laughs> Hawaii, it. Hawaii. Maybe Hawaii. Maybe Hawaii. I don't know. One of the islands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does Artie have access to just whatever state he wants to offer him? Probably not. We're going to find out. We are. Hey, hey, speaking of which, uh, uh-huh. Artie put the Angels up for sale last winter. Then all of a sudden they weren't for sale or were they for sale? What do you think happened there? I, I really don't know. I, I mean, my guess would be that he just liked the direction of the team. I think that he liked uh, all the stuff that um, – Curry had been doing that winter. That'd be my guess uh, from what I know of Artie in the situation. I don't think it was any more complicated than that. Um, I just think he liked the moves being made. And I probably did not want to get out right now because he's been, he's been, you know, in search of uh, since he's taken over the team and uh, he loves baseball. The man loves baseball. So I think more than anything, the reputation or the word out on the street of what the angels had been doing might've enticed him to stay. Um, I, you know, I'm in the school that, that says Artie Moreno would never trade Shohei. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you in that school? 
Um, probably yes, but I, I, who knows? Like, I, I just think as the season goes on again, if the angels are in some kind of a good position, he probably won't. Of course not. Um, yeah. Suppose of course they're not. not. I, then you have to, I think you just have to, that was my, to. I think you have to. Yeah. He's, uh, I, think, I mean, why you have a chance to like flood, flood your, your whole organization. I mean, not even inundate you, I guess, same thing. Right. But you just, all of a sudden you're going to get what six, seven, eight, ten 10 really great prospects. <laughs> um, it just gives your whole group an entirely different look. Um, I think you're almost forced to do it at that point. Wow. And who has all those prospects? Does one organization have like you'd have to do like a five team trade or something? How do you get I, right, all yeah, those? It, it could be complicated. You're right, but I I don't know because I, I cloning don't is there cloning money. available? <laughs> I, 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 uh, could you trade future draft choice? Could you include uh, future draft choices no, too? Like the NBA? no, it's not twenty thirty seven. Maybe that'll be the rule by the end of the year. Um, <laughs> no, it's 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 going to be interesting, but it'll take a lot. It's going to take a lot. And uh, um, again, you guys know better than me about what's in different farm systems, but uh, it could be farm systems plus some young players on a big league team too. There's, there's all kinds of ways to skin this cat. <laughs> uh, you mentioned you're in Tampa right now. Um, yeah. That team that plays across the bridge, the Rays, where yep. you started, they're 19 and three. Okay. So what, what do you see when you watch them? Uh, you, you obviously know Eric Neander really well from your time together there. Uh, we, we And we obviously know the Rays love information, but I also feel like Kevin Cash is one of those managers who lets players be themselves. Mm -hmm. So are they an example of what you're advocating or are they the counter argument? Because they're so data driven. <laughs> no, they're, they, they have an identity. They have a culture. They have a, they have a system. They have a way of doing things. They have a method that they follow stringently on an annual basis. So they know what they're doing. They have a, uh, they're comfortable in their own skin. Uh, they replicate it annually. Um, they they don't follow the trends of the rest of the league. Everybody tries to follow them. They're trendsetters. Um, they stuck to their DNA, which is pitching a defense, and all of a sudden you're getting some great offensive performances too. But when I look at them, I, the, the part that's most proud from my perspective is there is an established identity and culture there that replicates itself. I think they're going to be the latter-day Dodgers, the latter-day Cardinals, you know, the – because back in the day when Mr. Ricky took over, that's kind of like what the Rays looked like, the Dodgers looked like back then. There's this uh, this group that had a way of doing things, a great farm system. They kept replicating good players on an annual basis. Where are these guys coming from? Never heard of them before. Um, they have that kind of vibe going on. So, and Eric's really good. Eric, uh, you know, with regarding him and his brilliance and uh, his personality and his ego, he's the dude's fine. He's solid, man. So. He's the perfect guy for this, and he's doing the boys in charge. I mean, I, these guys are great. So they they've adhered to, they've stuck to every place I've been. Everybody wants to 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 replicate everybody <laughs> else, right. and it always drives me nuts. Why don't you just want to be yourself? Why do you constantly want to be somebody else? That's that's all you hear. You know, oh, it's a copycat league. Why? Because you don't know what you want to do yourself. The Rays know what they want to do themselves. That's why they're successful. And suppose oh, they actually that, get a ballpark, right? Then they'll have oh, yeah. all of that Brother. in an actual revenue stream. Then what? I mean, yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> right. Then it then it gets even more. Then then they do become the Dodgers, the Latter Day Dodgers, the Latter Day Cardinals. That's what they do become because uh, they have to stay here in order to become that. They got to well, Brooklyn. They went from Brooklyn to LA. I guess that can happen. Um, right. 
but yeah. they they with a real ballpark. And for me, it's not like they don't need this grandiose ballpark. They need a they need a boutique ballpark, I think, on this side, on the Tampa side. Something boutique-y, something not too big, something that's attractive, um, where you have to really hop on that ticket early enough in advance um, in order to be able to get to see the Rays that night. And with all kind of cool amenities, because the, the landscape here, the, the topography here is outstanding. So there's so much here to, to benefit uh, a major league team with this kind of a, uh, a vibe and organization and method. It's so cool. It's so cool. I'm so mm-hmm. pleased that I'm, I'm a former member of it. I'd love to see it thrive. And I'd like to see it thrive here. And it needs to thrive on this side. I don't care what anybody says in St. Petersburg. It's just true. Um, it needs to thrive on this side. And then St. Petersburg could drive here for a couple of years. But um, you need to be able to get there after work quickly and easily. And it can't be too big. And it has to have cool amenities. And, and folks will show up because it, it's a thing. It'll become a real thing. Yeah, they got a burned steakhouse in the in the building. That would that would make it work for me. Uh, so, so John, maybe, maybe we'll have a satellite of in there too. Who knows? Yeah, it'd be yeah. awesome. So, so Joe, the next, uh, you know, let's say Joe Madden 4.0 version, like the yeah. next managerial vision. Let's say, right. um, can you can you take us through like what the first speech you would say? Like, what what do you think you'd want to do differently uh, the next time? Wow. Um... You mean from my perspective or? Yes, uh, from your perspective. Yeah, like how you'd go into it. Okay, uh, I'd like to go into it. Um, whereas um, everybody knows where everybody's coming from specifically and meaning I guess that um, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to concede or relinquish control over the pregame and how we're going to build this thing regarding work, workouts, um, who's instructing who, what kind of information is giving. I want information. I've told you this, but I also want baseball coaches presenting information to my players. I don't want people from all over coming in and infiltrating and creating confusion by having too many people uh, being part of this, this uh, recipe, because that to me is is not right. So primarily it would be like um, um, everybody understanding everybody's roles. Uh, I'm into I'm into homogenization. I want everybody um, um, helping one another. I don't want it just to be off on an island. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, you're in charge of the hitters. This dude's in charge of the pitchers. This guy's got defense. So if you have anything to say about any of those things, you go to the department head and let him bring it to the player. And I want that done earlier in the day. I I want less people in the clubhouse. I want um, the clubhouse to be the, the player's domain. Uh, and yes, I want all kinds of input. I want nobody in my office an hour before the game. I don't want that. I, I don't think that's appropriate. I, when I was in, was an interim manager for Billy Bavese back in the day, um, interim manager, I said, Willie, I don't want anybody in my office an hour before the game. And that includes you because I got to get my stuff together. Now, if in fact you don't want the manager to get his stuff together and you want to tell the manager what his stuff is, that's a different story. But I can't work under those circumstances. I want your input. I want collaboration. I want all the intel you can give me. I want all that. And I promise you, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. I am. And I'm going to utilize analytics to uh, derive answers, both um, strategically and physically. You could derive them from both. I mean, uh, as an example, when a pitcher would go awry back with Eric and the boys, I would say, 
Could we possibly measure where his release point is or his stride length is right now? These are questions I was asking back then to the guys regarding this is how this could be very helpful to us. Uh, as an example, um, famously, I've often talked about, and this is an Eric thing too, Joe Peralta. He figured out that when Peralta threw a first pitch curveball strike, batting average against him was barely over 100, both righties and lefties. Okay, so what did Joel start doing? He started dumping first pitch curveball strikes in there. Became a different player, different pitcher completely. So th these are where all this stuff is very useful and helpful. But then again, you don't need everything. There's When you hire a lot of people in your baseball operations department, a lot of analysts, what are you going to get? A lot of analytical information. And a lot of it's superfluous. It really has nothing to do with this. But that's what you've hired people to do. Thus, you're going to get more of that. So you have to be able to understand what is important to us, what works here, what makes sense, uh, sift through all the noise, and let's get down to what's really going to help us win on a nightly basis. And if we need more than that, then we get a little bit smarter than that, and we, we, we dig, dig, dig. But at the end of the day, it says, do simple better on my T-shirt. Simplification, <laughs> players cannot handle complicated thoughts in a, heat, a hot moment. And I don't think some people understand that. Joe, would you ever want to be on the other side of it, uh, doing something else in baseball where you could mm -hmm. allow that to happen for some other oh, manager? Yeah. yeah, of course I would. Like yeah, what kind I, of what kind of job in baseball could you envision that being? I mean, I, I think that I could be uh, some kind of an assistant to a good GM that wanted to kind of balance things out a little bit. Uh, I could provide those kind of uh, conversations, thoughts, those kind of things. Um, I think I'd be good at, uh, through observation and feel, uh, determining what, what is going on here and try to give somebody uh, my take on it. And I, honestly, I, I know I can be uh, helpful with that or honest or help uh, insightful with that because I do see things and I do know things. And um, that to me would be very entertaining and interesting too. That would be, I, listen, I have to, I just can't work for somebody and just show up. I'm not, I'm not the ambassador type, right? I got to have, there's got to be some meat here to deal with. It's just, I can't do the fluff stuff. I just can't do it. So if somebody had something that really had a meaty component to it, I'm in. And I will, I will definitely, you know, dive in there, both feet firmly, and I will provide some thought and um, insight to this whole thing. But I'm not just out there to shake hands and sing the seventh inning stretch. You'd think somebody listening to this right now would hear this and think, this guy would be a good hire. We'll see. <laughs> well, that's the whole thing. Like you said earlier, I mean, uh, I only want to be hired. I only want to go somewhere where people understand this and find it to be valuable. If you don't find it to be valuable, God bless. I'm good. I just rode my bike on Bayshore this morning, right? I'm going to be playing at the Valley Country Club next Tuesday. I do a podcast with Tommy Verducci once a week, and I'm starting to de uh, delve into some other little things. I'm uh, like a little guest uh on uh, MLB network with Brian Kenny once a week right now. So I'm doing all these other little goodies right now. So that'll expand into more, but I am a baseball guy. <laughs> I can't hide that. And I love it. And I love all this stuff. I love the dugout. I love the competition. I love trying to solve problems and issues. I like, to, I love to be part of that. And I love to be, I'm a collaborator and I love to hear other people's opinions. So that's what I am. And I can't run away from that. I think by July, it'll be one year. <laughs> Since I was let go, and by that time, uh, I might really want to do something more constructive as opposed to just trying to break 80 all the time. <laughs>
before we let you go, I want to make sure I plug your podcast, the Book of Joe podcast with Tom Verducci. Yeah. And, and you've mentioned it. I've got a question, though. Uh, mm-hmm. I was thinking about you last week. I saw Bruce Springsteen in New York. Yeah. And you yeah. had Max Weinberg, yeah. Bruce's drummer, on as a guest on your podcast. <laughs> what did you learn about Max or from Max that we need to know? First of all, he's really a bright man. I mean, he really he's well spoken. The thing we the, the premise was this: we we uh, Tommy and I wanted to go after blue guys, and we went. Uh, we thought, okay, drummers. I mean, the beat of the band, the beat of the the. Uh, the whole group there, he's got to be, he's got to be considered a glue guy. So I knew Max, he, um, he, he wanted to go to Lafayette college as a kid, believe it or not. <laughs> and then eventually I got him, him and Willie, my buddy, Willie, uh, Max sat in and played the drums at Zeta Psi before, uh, the night before a Lafayette Lehigh football game. So right in 2016, right, after the, the B World street Series, band, right? Yeah. B street band. He's in there. Yeah. So, uh, Max and I get to talking in there, uh, but, the thing was, I wanted to hear from him. We wanted to hear from him. Is it true? I mean, you think it is. Is it true that the drummer would be the dude that holds the whole group together? I guess, you know, when it's actually performing. And, of course, that is true, but it's also true that, no, Bruce runs this whole thing. He's actually, He is the glue. <laughs> he's, where, he's where it begins and ends. He's the sticky stuff. He's all of that, right? But Max, Max was uh, talking about that. And all the different gigs he had to get to that particular point, how he arrived there. And again, we're talking about the struggle and the arrival there, talking about mentors. I'm really big on, I want to hear like, who was the guy or the people or the woman that really influenced your career to get this to this particular spot? And, how, and what does that mean to you? And, and, and how do you, you know, do you think about this person often in the past? So uh, in, in the present from the past. So, it was that, but he, primarily based on the glue guy concept. That's what I wanted to talk about. Hey, you're so dead on on this guy because I watched this closely. Uh-huh. Max and Bruce lock eyeballs at the end of <laughs> almost every yeah. song, right? Because that's how one yeah. song ends and the next yeah. song begins. Uh, it's magic. It really is. So I don't know if that's he's, I that. he's really He's really a bright fella. I mean, I of course he is, but talking to him he has like a really and i can't remember the whole conversation but i do remember i was impressed with like um his ability to you know bring his thoughts together and in his own personal um uh philosophies on different things i thought it was brilliant so anyway people had a chance uh research the book of joe podcast with max and it's really good <laughs> i'm talking this you... one i'm talking this one yeah <laughs> all right once you get finished listening to this and you can go right, find right. Joe. Right. Yeah, go find yeah. Hey, hey joe it's always special it's always memorable to have you on i uh, hope our paths cross soon uh, especially hope that happens in our ballpark man so yeah cool thank you Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Okay, it's that time again. It's time for Listener Trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. And Doug, I'm charged up about trivia this week. I... I know we finally missed one last week, ended our, what was it, what, six-question winning streak? But like the Rays, I'm thinking we'll just go out and fire up a whole new streak. <laughs> what do you think? We're still undefeated at home, so, you know, we can think of it that way. Yes, so we're Wait, good. we're always we're home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> hey, I'm also excited this week because we got such a cool email from this week's special trivia guest star, Daniel Kenworthy. Uh, let's talk to him about that. Daniel, welcome to Starkville. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Uh, like I said, listen to you guys for a long time, read you guys for a long time. And so it's uh, it's really fun to be here. Well, thank you. Um, thank you. Uh, we will get to Daniel's trivia question in a minute, but uh, Daniel uh, emailed us. He had some truly kind words about me in that email. So Daniel, if you want to express them again, I'd be honored if you would share them with everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, happy to. No, I, I just I've, I've I have felt a particular connection just to the way you think about baseball, the way you talk about it, and 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 how that aligns with really the same way that I I do, I do as well. And it's 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 more than just you know something that uh, that I enjoy for baseball itself. I feel like the way in which um, baseball has always been represented in numbers to me has, has really propelled even my career as a, you know, working for a financial software company. Uh, and so really from my very earliest days, the way that baseball could be tracked with numbers and you could analyze trends and, you know, that, that helped develop skills, technical skills for me, like learning to keep track of numbers in Excel. And even before that, Lotus one, two, three, if you were <laughs> My mom showed me how to keep track of baseball averages on a Lotus one, two, three spreadsheet. Um, and uh, because before that, eight years old, I was trying to write down batting averages day over day out of the newspaper. Okay, so yesterday it was one for three. So that's okay. erase it, write it again. And so, yeah, introduced to, to spreadsheets through that and just the, the way that I can, you can use numbers to tell a story. Uh, you can use those technical skills to think creatively about questions and problems is really 
uh, you know, been a skill set that I've taken throughout my throughout my entire career. And you've been right there with me. I said I've been reading you ever since your first days at ESPN.com and uh, and just really gravitated to the way you talk about baseball. And that's been uh, just a, an important thing uh, to me really all along. So grateful for that. Wow. Um, hey, I, I, I can't begin to express um, how much that means to me. Um, I've said many times how lucky I feel and have always felt to do what I do for a living. Um, one thing I've always tried to do is share that joy mm. with people like you, with my readers and, you know, because of social media now, and especially because of emails like yours, it's, it's begun to hit home to me that I've been able to make a really special connection with people like you, people out there who love baseball as much as I do, uh, as much as Doug and I do, who think about it that way, who use numbers that way. But uh, it's still overwhelming to hear that uh, there have been times when that connection has literally changed people's lives. Um, so, I, Look, thank you for sharing that. It, it's really meaningful to me and really gratefully appreciated. And and just just one more on that. A year ago or so, you had Sarah Langs on, yeah. And and to see that as a to see the way you two interacted across mm -hmm. generations, and then for me to be able to listen to that interview with my daughters mm -hmm. uh, was just really special to to hear the the banter and the, just the joy, and to know that that's something that that uh, that, that that can be passed on from you know from one one age to the next and especially having involved you know a woman in that uh in that story was uh, really meaningful to my daughter so uh that, that was a really special uh interview from yeah from a while thank back. you that that was a, that was a really cool show uh sarah's mother was on that show we have to get yeah. we have to get sarah back on uh soon yeah. um uh, all right, now that we've got the warm and fuzzy portion of the segment out of the way, <laughs> now it's time for Daniel to do what so many have done before, although not lately, and try to stump us with a, a really fun trivia question. So, Daniel, let's do this. Fire okay. away. Excellent. So, Clayton Kershaw just earned his 200th career victory for the Dodgers. In fact, mm -hmm. he's up to 201 now since I wrote this. Mm. Against only 88 losses. Mm. In all of baseball history, only 27 pitchers have finished their career with at least wow. 100 more wins than losses. In other words, their own win-loss record was 100 games over 500. Right. Urshaw has a chance to join the four of them who played their entire careers for one team. Mm. And you name those four pitchers. All right. Um, That's a great wow. question. Great question. Um, first of all, for mm. clarification, is this all time, like since 1876 or just okay. There are a couple of inferences that I would like to share. Yes, <laughs> it is all time. It is all time. However, it is okay. notable uh -huh. that before the labor stability that, that was brought about by the American League, mm -hmm. it would have been very unlikely for a star player to not switch teams frequently. Uh, right. I was going to mention that. Okay. So what you're saying is it's all time, but it's it's probably more modern than that. So, Doug, we need yes. four pitchers in history, yeah. yep. 100 more wins than losses, mm -hmm. and all of it for one team. This is right. great. Um, now, there, there's great. also one other thing. There is an incorrect answer 
that will earn you uh, partial credit. <laughs> okay, we're we're noted for incorrect answers, so I'm looking forward to that part. Yeah, um, I think I might know that one actually. All right, all right so, so hey, Doug, the, you should know the good news here is I just had a note in my weird and wild wild column the other day about Kershaw and guys who pitch for only one team with 200 wins. So I'm almost sure that I know three of these Ooh, just three research, right? So wow. normally, right, normally with a question like this, Doug would start crying. We'd have this Glanville <laughs> rule that would say we can't, we, don't have, we shouldn't have to get all four answers. <laughs> I, I'm going to suspend that rule for this week because I just, I, I, I did very similar research last week, but you're okay with that, Doug? Oh, I'm great. Well, now she said you have three in your, I mean, look, that's, that's, I'm good with that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let, let's see what we can do. I mean, Walter right. Johnson, he's definitely won. He won 400 games off of the senators. Okay. One of the all time greats. The yep. other two, I am almost sure are yep. Jim Palmer. Yep. For the Orioles and okay. Bob Gibson for the Cardinals. Okay. Um, nice. And who was the fourth? Oh, uh, my first instinct is to say Whitey Ford with the Yankees. He was oh. great when the Yankees were great. So he feels right. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of other possibilities. Mm -hmm. Doug, I'm sure you have some thoughts. What do you got? Ooh, well, I didn't go to Whitey Ford level, but I'm going to throw some stuff at you. What about now? The top, wait, wait. Okay, I got to think about who pitched. First of all, I have to remember who played for one team. Okay, that's that's a challenge for me. Uh, now, one question I did have is Felix Hernandez. Not not very a lot of great teams, but did he just play for the Seattle? Because didn't he go to the Braves in spring training or something? I didn't make the team. Uh, he right, got hurt. So, never never actually pitched for them. So, so that's why I thought about in the exception. The the <laughs> that could all right, be so, somebody right. like that. Right. Okay. Good. Um. Tim Lincecum, did he pitch for more than the Giants? Uh, and they had a lot of winning a, seasons. It was not over 100 games over 500, so that's a okay. good point. Yeah, okay. Uh, Dave you, Steve? You've got to win a lot of games to get over 100. Yeah. 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 100 plus. Dave Steve Dave. was just a Blue Jay, but I don't, he was not 100 games over 500. Man. Uh, Mark Burley? Mark Burley pitched for Marlins, Blue Jays. Oh, yeah. He's out. Oh well, uh, I'm running out of pitchers here. All right, King. What? Now wait. Now what? I'm trying to see the Braves. Are any of these Braves legends? No, Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz all pitch for other what? teams. Yeah, that they're, they're out. All right. Just Warren Spahn, though. Warren Spahn. Ooh. Okay. I was trying to go by organization here. Carl Hubble. Who do he pitch for? That'd be the, that'd be the Giants, but Christy Matthewson would be a better bet for the Giants than him, right? Or Marichal. Ooh, Marisol. Mm. That's how it's going by organization. Uh, <laughs> so wait, we got 27 more organizations for you to go through? No. <laughs> no, I mean, I... Hold well, this down took, a little bit, will you? You took, you took two... My, well, I had Palmer and Gibson, so I support that. Yeah, I don't... Oh, what about any other Dodgers? That was sort of one of the questions. So Koufax, Drysdale, did they... What is Koufax it? won 163 games, so it can't be him. Drysdale what? was barely over 200 wins. 163 so. and tw and 50. I mean, did Koufax ever lose? Uh, his his <laughs> first uh, four, five, six years, man. Um, oh, yeah. oh, wow. <laughs> let me uh, Don Newcomb. No, um, no, I don't think I don't I don't think it's a Dodger. 
I don't. Yeah, it's, I mean, you have to be on a great team and pitch for a long time. It's it's a it's great. Dominate, question. dominate, and not leads, and never leave the same team. I don't know. I don't really know if I have an answer. Um, <laughs> All right, you want to just guess my four? What do you have, Whitey Ford, Walter Johnson, Bob Gibson, Jim Palmer, Whitey Ford? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't. I certainly can't argue against it. Um, yeah, I don't have an argument against it. I no. like. I know they all pitch for one team. I'm curious yeah. about the the half the half right question or the asterisk credit question, but not. not I mean, I don't want this I mean, segment to last. I mean, a half the, thing hour, about, so. the thing about Felix is that you know Mariners weren't necessarily that good. You know, he's 14 and 10. And no, 10 exactly, and exactly. I don't know, but it I just can't. seemed like that story was interesting. Like he pitched, he, he, he kind of retired. I, I'm sure there's Anyone somebody else? like that, or somebody who was drafted by another team, like Smoltz, and but you know, then pitched in the big leagues for just another team, something like that. But why, why don't we just go with my four? Get it, we'll get it wrong, we'll get it over with. <laughs> we'll get yeah, to the bottom that, of this. Okay, and Smoltz, Smoltz pitched for the Tigers. He went. Did he ever? No, he never he, pitched for the Tigers. But then he went to the Cardinals. He went to the Red Sox. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. So, okay, scratch all that. Okay, all right, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll go, with buddy. Let, let, let's do it. Let's see if we can start a new streak. Daniel, is there any chance it's Walter Johnson, Bob Gibson, Jim Palmer, and Whitey Ford? So that is three of the four. Ooh. Oh, no. And it really is a remarkable showing nonetheless. Now, Bob Gibson was not 100 over. Oh, Amazing. really? Amazing. Yes, but How Whitey even? Ford was correct. Wow. But Gibson was wrong. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, Johnson, close. Ford, Palmer, and the Ooh. fourth, Bob Ooh. Feller. Bob Feller. Feller. I had Ooh. Bob Lemon and Bob Feller written down, but I never got there. Yep. Yeah, yep. And in fact, I mean, if Feller hadn't missed a couple of years of service, you know, his numbers would have been oh yeah, just unbelievable. I spent a lot of time talking about that in my Stark Truth yeah. book. Love Bob Feller. Bob Feller. Um, so you, 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 now you mentioned the partial credit wrong answer. <laughs> oh, who so, did? Uh, I, I don't know. Quarter credit? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll take all okay. the credit we can get. You, can you want me to hit you with it? Of course. Yeah. yeah. Christy Matthewson. Christy. What happened compiled to Compiled a career record of 372 and 188 with the Giants. Okay. Now, as, a, as an astute follower of the record books, you would say, well, wait a minute. Matthewson has 373 career victories. Tied for third all time, right? Right. In the middle of his last season, he was traded to the Reds to be their new manager. He was traded, get this, traded with Ed Rausch, who went on to have a Hall of Fame career with the Reds, and traded with Bill McKechnie, who didn't amount to much as a player, but later led the Reds to two pennants and a World Series. So the Reds <laughs> got three Hall of Famers in this trade. And they gave up two replacement players. So three Hall of Famers back. But that's just part of it. Because <laughs> later that season, as manager, Christian Matthewson put himself on the mound to pitch the second game of a Labor Day doubleheader in Chicago against the Cubs. His opponent, Mordecai Threefinger Brown. <laughs> this was Crazy. the last game pitched for both of those two players. They gave up a combined 18 runs and 34 <laughs> hits in the last game of their career. And now get this, in a game that had 40 base runners, 
game time, two hours and 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the pitch clock was working well that day. <laughs> and so that's that game, so, so that Christy Matthewson that ruined Christy Matthewson as the answer. Yes, oh, absolutely. Wow. That game yep. was why he wasn't the answer to that question. Yeah, I also wow. had him written down and then thought that I, I knew there was something. I, mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't know about the three finger brown 18 run game. But <laughs> oh my gosh. And anyway, I, I like I remember that I'd just done this research and Christy Matheson wasn't on the list of 200 game winners all for one team. So I knew something was amiss there. <laughs> But on the other hand, because I just did that big research project last week and we still missed the question, should I be embarrassed now? What do you think, Doug? I mean, I, three out of four is pretty good there. I mean, pretty good. it would have wor- worked in my my district in Starkville. I would have I would have mm. won. <laughs> yeah. All right, but we're, all right, we're, we're not getting credit. Am I right there, Mr. Mayor? No. Yeah, you set the rules before we started, yeah. so I can't get yeah, yeah. We did not a big mistake. Can we? Hey, you know we're we're taping this. Can we edit out that part? <laughs> Pitch clock. Pitch clock. <laughs> yeah. All right. We still gotten six of the last eight. That's pretty ridiculous. And if we, yeah, we just had applied the Glanville rule, we would have gotten this one too. <laughs> and we got one out of two of the last time, so we're, we're always on the scoreboard. At least that's the good news. Are we? Okay. Sure. All right. Well, like enough about us. Uh, this segment electrifying as it's been. It's actually about to get better because we're going to bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, to play another one of his epic play-by-play clips involving Mm -hmm. this week's answer. So, Tim, what do you got for us this week? I wanted to go with Bob Feller, but did you know 1948 World Series, which the Indians won, Bob Feller lost both games that they lost. They won that series <laughs> six games, and he was 0-2. So uh, no Bob Feller. Rude. We're going to go 1966 World Series, game Ooh. one, Jim Palmer against Sandy Koufax. Ooh. Now the 3-1 pitch. Palmer's ready. Here it is. High fly ball. Hit out of the shallow center. Backpedaling to shortstop. Aparicio calling for it. Aparicio waiting. He's got it. And that's it. Jim Palmer has become the youngest pitcher to pitch a shutout in World Series history. The youngest pitcher to pitch a shutout in World Series history here in the ninth inning. The totals for the Dodgers, no runs, no hits, no no errors, and one man left on. And that's it. Yeah, that was the young Jim Palmer. That was the yeah, legend of Jim Palmer. The legend of Jim Palmer really was that year, that and that game was a big part of it. So that's really cool. Um Glad we got to hear that. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, Daniel, sorry about the 66 Dodgers, but thank you so much (laughs) for your excellent question. And above all, thank you so much for taking the time to write and express uh, those amazingly kind words. Uh, I don't take them for granted. Please check in anytime if Doug or I can ever help you with anything. Absolutely. Strange but true. Doug, it is time for our weekly strange but true segment. Uh, I don't know about you, but we're three weeks into the season. I cannot thank baseball enough for these new rules. For you, for me, for this segment, those rules are the gift that keeps on giving. (laughs) So I thought today uh, it'd be fun to run through a little montage of some of our favorite strange but true new rules highlights from the last week or so. They're they're just too good to ignore. So uh, let, let, let's start with uh, the one I featured most prominently in my weird and wild column the other day. 
Uh, this this is now two weekends ago, but Cody Bellinger, you heard of him, returns to L.A. to Dodger Stadium for the first time after signing with the Cubs. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful moment, right? Let's hear how oh, that yeah. went. Beautiful. Let's hear it. Hey, here's the ovation for Cody Bellinger. The official ovation was before the game. They played a video of his Dodger highlights and got a standing ovation from this Dodger Stadium crowd on his first trip back here. And he got a pitch clock violation. Come on, Jim. Uh, so, yes, he took his time there to acknowledge the cheers of the crowd. And Jim Wolf, the home plate up and brother of your former teammate, Randy Wolf, said, hey, Cody, great to see you back here. Also, strike one. <laughs> Doug, your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like the, the key is just never leave your first organization. Then you don't have the standing <laughs> ovation. That's yeah, it. That would help. Yeah, it's a it's a way to in, inspire people to stay with one organization for a lifetime. So that's the answer. Yeah, that would be one answer. Um, never get traded. Yeah, probably probably unlikely to actually happen that way. So um, uh, your cohort at Marquee Sports Network, uh, Jim Deshays, and I had some fun talking about this. We came up with an idea. Besides pitch clock, you also have a crowd clock. And <laughs> if you have a crowd clock, yeah. we had to ask what would happen if there is a crowd clock violation. <laughs> JD had the answer. No beer sales for the next half inning. <laughs> right. Doug, that'll definitely work. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Next up. Uh, this also happened two weeks ago. Have you ever heard of a pitcher striking out the same hitter twice in the same at bat? Mets uh, David Robertson did that. Uh, just to set the scene here, he was one strike away from saving a game against the A's. Kevin Smith at the dish. <laughs> Let's hear how this went. Struck him out, and the oh, ball game is over. No. no, they call a clock violation against Robertson. <laughs> he struck him out for a second time, and the ball game is over. <laughs> he struck him out, and the ball game isn't over. This is not what Gary Cohen just said, but uh, this is true now. Because of that clock violation, David Robertson had to strike this guy out twice. <laughs> and you know, since I wrote it, uh, the more I've thought about it. Here's a question for you, Doug. I've wondered about this. Did he also just save the same game twice? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's a yes, yes, he did. So yeah, I mean, two saves there, not one? Yeah, it's like a rescue mission where you <laughs> uh, you throw the dog back in the water and then you go rescue the dog again. I mean, that's fine. I mean, you want to get extra credit for it or you want to be a hero. You're kind of an anti-hero than a hero. That's fine. That's, that's all acceptable. So uh, I think it's a, you know, you gained some more points for that. And I, you know, I don't know if I say strike him out twice as much as four strikes and you're out. I think you have to just revamp the whole system and declare it a four strike strikeout. And, you know, it's like, you know, wild pitch getting, you know, all of a sudden get guy gets the first base. It's something that we should celebrate in Starkville uh, four strikes and you're out. And uh, <laughs> I, I, that might be the new rule for next year. Four strikes, four balls, four <laughs> strikes. You know, it's, it's, it's only fair. Four balls, four strikes. That, that's just even out right there. We were talking to Joe Madden about how to uh, reduce the strikeout rate. You might've stumbled upon something there. <laughs> Way to go. David Robertson's up to the task. We know that. Uh, all right. One more. Uh, finally, this was Padres against Brewers. 
Uh, this game was April 16th. So the Padres lost this game, Doug, one to nothing. Uh, I guarantee you, no team has ever lost a one nothing game like this before. Um, I'll just try to set up what you're about to listen to. Uh, it's 0 0. You Darvish is on the mound for the Padres. He has a weird inning, okay? He allows a single, but it's a bunt single. Uh, then we have like a uh, pitch com thing. Uh, now he makes a pickoff throw to first. He's losing track of the disengagements. Um, everything kind of runs amok from there. Let's hear how this sounded. When he kind of had his hands out before the first pitch, he counted that as a disengagement, and now the throw over is the second. So he has no more times to pick over to first. One over, and that he's not able to do. That's no. a balk. So I guess you didn't understand that that was two. Taking off for third now, and that is a stolen base. Not even a throw. <laughs> Line to left. Soto on the run will get there to make the catch. Mitchell tagging. The throw is going to be cut off, and the Brewers will take a one nothing lead. And that lead held up. Did you did you follow that okay, Doug? I, you want me to explain it to you? Okay, because yeah, pretty well. All right, because basically what, what's happening is this. All right, so, you know, pitchers now, they have to have a, like a little disengagement scorecard in their heads. Oh, yeah. And so in the U Darvish disengagement scoreboard in his head, he had one disengagements. Uh, but in real life, he had two. So everything just kind of steamrolled yeah. from there. All right. Um, yeah. We had a uh, catcher who was Austin Nola meant to push one button on his pitch con, but he pitched the wrong button. So a guy with two disengagements made another pickoff throw to <laughs> first. No, no, no. That's illegal. Um, he had no idea why, but anyway, now that's a balk. Now the runner's on second. Now we have a runner uh, on third because he stole third because the rules are making it easier to steal bases. Then you have a sack fly. <laughs> that was a run. So how'd they score the run? Let's think about it. We have two pitch com glitches. We have a yes. disengagement violation where the pitcher had no idea how many disengagements he had. Mm -hmm. We we had a steal of third off a pitcher who had just given up even trying to control the running game, followed by a sacrifice fly that scored a runner. We have no idea how he even got to third. Okay. So that was the only run scored in a one nothing game in Ooh. the major leagues. Uh, what what do you think, Doug? Like, what could happen this year that could possibly top that? Well, it's a new uh, column because you always have runs and earned runs. We need something like technically unearned runs or something like that. We have to come up with a pitch com unearned disengagement run. You know, there's got to be a whole other column. You know, it's just <laughs> like we have strikeouts looking, strikeouts not looking, a strikeout swinging. We, we have to add another column. That's what the pitch clock keeps doing to us. And I prefer to call disengagement disses. We have to start calling them disses. I like it. All right. So we, we I'm going to work on that and get that, you know, out there in the new vocabulary word, but it's shorter, you know. So he had two disses already. He threw over again. He didn't know he had two disses. And I don't know if there's, there could be a grace period. They could say, well, he forgot. We can give you one extra bonus one a game. I know it's a lot of counting that we're doing these days. A lot of clocks we're looking at. Yeah, and uh, it's it's total chaos. But yeah, I I, I prefer uh, another column. It was it wasn't an unearned run exactly, but it, it's 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 a it's something in the technical realm that we have to call unearned in a different way. So uh -huh. um, yeah, so viral a viral. I don't know. I'm going to work on this one. Yeah, work on it. Yeah, I'll yeah. give you something to do before 
uh, next week's show where you're back in Houston, right? Then you're trying to get I'll back be right here. there. I'll be <laughs> right, right there. Yeah, you know what? Um, every time I think of disengagement, I think of the Kardashians. So, so <laughs> I do think we need a better word for that. I, they've actually uh, banned me from making any more Kardashian jokes. <laughs> Oh yeah, you're done. Yes. When I refer to these disengagements, so we, I think you're onto something. We just need mm-hmm. a new word for it, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm there for you if you need help with this. Got yeah. it? Yes. Okay. Wonderful. Beautiful. All right, that's gonna do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read my weird and wild columns or any of the sensational baseball coverage in The Athletic, allow me to tell you how you could do that. If you go to theathletic.com slash baseball show and you're a new subscriber, you can subscribe for just $1.99 a month for the next 12 months. Wow. But also remember... You too can be part of this podcast because every show we pick some fun listener trivia question. Then that lucky listener gets to join us right here and prove once again, there is almost no baseball trivia question. We can't get wrong. So how would you do that? One way is to do what Daniel Kenworthy did today and email us at Starkville at the athletic.com. That's Starkville with an E on the end. (laughs) <laughs> also, all testimonials to how Doug and I have transformed your life will be gratefully ac- gratefully <laughs> accepted, is what I meant to say. Uh, or in other news, you can do what most people do. Uh, you can send us your question via Twitter as long as Twitter continues to exist, which we can no longer vouch for. Uh, Doug, you still have your blue check mark. So where could people <laughs> with or without a check mark find Doug Lanville? Well, first, I want to give uh, honor to Count Von Count Von Count, um, my favorite Muppet out there. And since we're in the spirit, I'm going to bring him back from a previous show in honor of disengagement. So what they need to do is every time he disengages, so you Darvis remembers, he says, one disengagement, <laughs> disengagement, three, and then a three, it's a box. So you have to throw a box in there. Ah, 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 three blocks. Yep. So I'm going to throw that out there. So put the count on the scoreboard. I'm for that. Yeah. That's it. Every time you disengage, you get the count von count. You know, that's not the question uh, I asked you, though. Oh, yeah. The question was yes. My blue check mark is still existing uh, because I paid for it. And it's uh, Doug Glanville. Very easy. At Doug Glanville, D U U G G L A N V I L L E. Very well done. I am at Jason S T. Jason with a Y S T. J A Y S O N S. T, please remember to hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Joe Madden for visiting us. Thanks to Daniel Kenworthy for the kind words and the fantastic trivia question. Thank you to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Doug and I will see you next week on Starkville. Starkville.